Well, it is my absolute pleasure to be up here this morning uh, to continue our series on influences. Uh, Garth, am I right in saying that this is the last one? Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So we've, for those of you who may not know, we've been doing this series on influences with a bit of a, like a break in between here and there since December, and I'm going to be continuing this series this morning. I've got so much out of this. I, I, I really have. And in particular, I've enjoyed looking at key characters from the Bible and how they were able to overcome adversity and opposition to then go on and do amazing things for God, using their influence to bring kingdom culture. And I'm going to be continuing that this morning. We're going to be taking a closer look at the character of Nehemiah which also has a book named after him. Uh, But I also want to take some time to share some personal testimony. I had a little bit of a bright idea somewhere through this series, and that was um, a real light bulb moment. That was, it occurred to me that I could apply the theology that I was learning through this series directly to my life. Fancy that, right? (laughs) So I want to share some testimony as a result of that. Um, but I tell you, 2020, it's got off to a flying start for the O'Donoghue clan. Um, oh, it's, as we know, it's not just a, a new year, it's a new decade. And um, Jasmine and I and our family, we're going through a bit of a change at the moment. For the first time in seven years, I'm now actively looking for new work. And in case you're wondering, everything's fine, I've still got employment, everything's cool but I'm seeking new employment um, within the digital marketing sphere and website design and all that sort of stuff. And uh, the reason why I mention this is because I've been looking at some pretty interesting job descriptions lately. I've been going on Seek and just going through, and one particular job really jumped off the page. It, it wasn't because of the company that I was going to be working for. It was a cosmetics company. Uh, doesn't really take my interest too much. Um, but then again, I work in the freight industry at the moment, and that's <laughs> not that interesting either. Uh, but there was one item that jumped off the page on the job description. If I was to be successful in the role, I would be responsible for managing and maintaining relationships with influencers. With influencers. Now... <laughs> I used to think I had a pretty good grasp on different career options that were available. Um, But up until a few years ago, I'd never heard of this term influencers before. What's what's an influencer? Um, And I had no idea that you could be influential professionally. But you can. And in case you don't know what that word is, maybe you may have heard it. Um, An influencer in the context that I'm talking about here is a person who amasses a big online following on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, we're talking thousands and thousands, even hundreds of thousands, or even millions of followers. And they're able to be quite influential with those people, uh, to the point where marketers such as myself have realised that if we go to an influencer with our wares and they give it a plug, that we sales can go through the roof because they're connected with all those people, but also because those people trust them. 
And it's a very, very lucrative business. And at the top end, there's this young lady by the name of Kylie Jenner. Kylie Jenner, one of the Kardashians. Uh, she's amassed about 160 million followers on Instagram. 160 million. Can you believe it? That's a huge number. Uh, that's basically the population of Bangladesh, which is the world's eighth most populated country on the earth, 160 million. And every time she gives a plug, the BBC came out with a report and it estimates that she commands a cool US $1.2 million to give a plug, $1.2 million. Now, in case you're wondering, social, to post on social media is free, it doesn't cost you a cent, and she gets a cool $1.2 million. It's, it's not a bad way to make a living, right? <laughs> can, can I have a shot at that? <laughs> um, but it's stats like that that is compelling young people to seriously consider a future as an influencer. In fact, 86% from a recent survey of people aged 18 to 35 said that they were willing to consider a future as an influencer. It's <laughs> what interesting times we live in. <laughs> but you see, the dynamics in which we influence is changing. There's a shift that's currently happening. And I want to emphasise this and I want to dedicate two minutes to explaining this. Um, and it really pivots on this concept of authority. Authority. Uh, and there's two types of authority that you can get. You can either get authority through power, like force, or you can get authority through trust. Now, it's basically you can put it like this. Those who are authorised to influence us, that's power, and those who we allow to influence us, through trust, okay? Let me break this down a little bit. So influence used to always be about power. The, the most influential person in the land was the kings and the queens and the noble class. Why is that? Why were they so influential? Well, because if you disagreed with them, you were going to go to prison or get yourself killed. <laughs> but... People often overlook the power of trust-based authority to influence. But it's no less significant. In fact, many people believe that it's more long-lasting. It's a better form of influence. So let's take, for example, uh, you know, Kylie Jenner. She has no direct uh, power-based authority over her followers at all. She can't say to them, look... If you don't buy the products that I'm selling or giving an endorsement to, I'm going to throw you in prison. No, she can't do that. But they do trust her. However right or wrong that is, they trust her. So she's able to compel these people to go on and buy whatever she's endorsing. And so much so, she launched in 2015 a new product, a lipstick. And um, within a couple of moments, it was all sold, just like that, gone. And she's been able to, through that, through selling her own products and endorsing her own products, she's been able to, at the age of 21, become a multi-billionaire. At the age, at just 21 years of age. It's, it's incredible. But bring this back to the Bible. Let's consider Jesus just for a moment. You see, the Jews, 
their Messiah that they were expecting was going to be more on the equation of a power-based authority. You know, a warrior king which would come, establish his kingdom and basically do away with the opposition. Instead, they got Jesus riding on a donkey. And it's through his trust. He he has all power, all authority is Jesus. But he prefers to go for trust, such as free will. We have the free will to trust him and to follow him, take up our cross every day, or to ignore, uh, ignore him. No one's going to throw you in prison if you choose to do that. It's completely up to you. In fact, many will give you a standing ovation. But we have the door is open. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to allow his teachings to influence us? And as we should. I'm going to dissect this a little bit further in just a few moments. We'll be looking at the character of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 1. But um, in case you don't know the book of Nehemiah, it is an epic tale of one man's ability to influence the king and then to go on to influence the people and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in just 52 days. Now, you're probably wondering what, what's up with the walls. Okay, I'll just break this down a little bit, give you a little bit of an indication of where we are in history at the point of Nehemiah. So by this stage, the Israel had been invaded and conquered by the Babylonians And historians believe that the final siege and basically the destruction of Jerusalem took place in about 587 BC. As a result of that conquest, the Israelites were exiled to foreign lands and they staked the remnant. And then Nehemiah is about what happens next. The remnant returning from those foreign lands and basically returning to Jerusalem, what are they going to do? Things are lying in ruins. The walls of the city are in ruins. The city is unprotected. So the scale of Nehemiah's achievement to rebuild these walls is massive. This is a huge, huge achievement and in record time as well. So we're going to explore this. But before I do, I tell you, I've got an objective and I want to make this clear, okay? You see... When I share a story like this, I know there's a potential dilemma. And that is that we're dealing with a guy who we're about to hear about a bit more. We're dealing with a guy who rubbed shoulders with kings and went on to rebuild military structures and all the rest of it. And we sometimes go, well, what's, what's that got to do with me? How can, how can that apply to me? Evan, yes, he's influential. But how do I be influential where it matters to me? How, do, how can I be influential for God in my household, in my workplace, in my local community? Don't worry, I hear you. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Let me just say on that point, the Bible says that the word of God is alive and active. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. And this is no exception. And I'm going to identify a blueprint for influence. If you want to be influential, follow this blueprint. You can't fail, okay? 
So if you'd like to take out your Bibles now, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We good? Yeah. I haven't left anyone behind. <laughs> Great. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Can you just, if you've got a highlighter, can you just highlight that final verse? For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, just some further context here. We're going to take a little bit of an interlude here before we pick up the story again. Many believe that the book of Nehemiah was written around about 440 BC. By this stage of history of the Israelites' return, the temple of the Lord had already been rebuilt. And you can read about that in the book of Ezra. Ezra, by the way, that book is the book before Nehemiah. Okay, And originally, fun fact, um, the two books used to be one and the same. They've actually been separated out. And um, here we have, here we read of Nehemiah's great anguish of hearing this report. Now, Nehemiah at this stage was living in a foreign land under a Persian king. And if you want to know who Nehemiah was, you just look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 12. It says that he was a cupbearer to the king. He had no direct authority, but he did have the king's trust. You need someone who you can trust to give you wine because it could easily be poisoned, right? So Nehemiah was part of the, the king's household, and um, he identifies this need, this urgent need. Consider that here's the temple of God rebuilt and all the effort that's gone into that. But then at any moment, you can have invaders come into that city and destroy it all over again, but also then the calamity of that and everyone going off to exile potentially as well. So in, the, in that urgency, he prays and he fasts. So we're going to pick up the story again now, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the kingdom where the, uh, where the city when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, 
What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah, and may I have a letter to Asav, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates and the citadels uh, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now, again, if you've got that highlighter, can you just highlight that last verse again? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me. Let's summarize what we've just read. So here we have Nehemiah identifying this need for influence, and he gets just that. He's able to influence the king directly. The king grants him his request, which is epic, by the way, and he provides him with paperwork. What's the paperwork for? Well, that's to affirm his authority. Remember what I was saying before about authority? That gave him authority in terms of power, but also in, in terms of trust. And we're going to come back to that shortly. And he uses this authority to then go on and influence the local leaders to rebuild the city walls, despite opposition and hardship, in just 52 days. Now, before I really dissect this, I just want to address something quickly. You might be wondering, why was... Nehemiah so nervous to talk to the king. Now, imagine you're going to talk to a, a world leader. You're going to get pretty nervous anyway, right? Uh, no less a, a world from uh, a ruler from ancient times, who, you know, I'm sure there would have been people who got killed for less. If the if the king so desired, you're gone, right? So Nehemiah probably would have been nervous because of that as well. But also, it doesn't actually say in the immediate text that we're reading. And it never directly says it. It more alludes to it. For this explanation, you have to look at Nehemiah chapter 6. And I'm going to explain it like this. Imagine you're a ruler. So we're going to look at it through the lens of the ruler just for a moment. And your, your kingdom stretches far and wide, beyond the eye can see. And one day... One of your subjects, a cupbearer of all people, comes to you and says, look, can I call in a favour? If it's all right, can I um, go and rebuild my city walls where I come from um, and fortify it? How dumb would you have to be to accept that, say, yeah, three bags full, you can do that. Um, I'll also give you paperwork and I'll give you resources to make that happen. And then after you've done that, the person then goes on, the cupbearer, Nehemiah, then goes on to make those walls, and then as soon as the walls are made, goes, okay, I'm now the king of this province. Now you have to go all the way over there with your army. Oh, this is going to be such a pain. And go and (laughs) 
take him down a notch. (laughs) Now, fortunately, that's not Nehemiah's motive, right? And fortunately, the king doesn't see it like that. But you can see why Nehemiah was a little bit nervous, that it might be perceived like that. So let's bring it back to the main point. Again, Nehemiah is a great example of one man's ability to influence a king and then to go on and influence the people to get him, you know, pick up this, this major work to rebuild the city walls. So we're going to dissect Nehemiah's three-step blueprint for influence. And I, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to say the three really quick and then I'm going to briefly explain each one. This won't take long. So the first step is you need to identify a need. The second step, you need to seek God. And the third step, you need to then go on and influence. Now I'll come back and I'll explain each one. So the first step, you need to identify a need. Okay, well, it really goes without saying, but how are you going to be influential about something if you don't know what to be influential about. <laughs> so you need, to be, you need to identify a need for your influence. Step one, check. Step two, and by the way, you know what us Christians do, and I'm included. Step two, seeking God. We skip over step two. We go straight past it, and we go on to step three. We go, oh... I don't have any problems identifying a need, that I, something that I need to influence. And we go three bags full, I'm going to now be influential. <laughs> and we forget the critical step of step two. And what do we see in Nehemiah? He weeps, this outpouring of anguish, but he immediately brings it before the Lord. He prays and he fasts. Critical, critical step. And finally, step three. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. So this is looking at the step three, which is to influence. He requests paperwork to affirm his authority for influence and endorsement from the king. This gives him influence through power and through trust, which I referred to earlier. Imagine just for a moment that you live about two and a half thousand years ago and maybe you share Nehemiah's view, right? You're at the city, you're looking around at the walls and you go, oh man, this, this, something has to be done here. And you go, aha, I'm going to be influential about something good. And you walk up to the first person that happens to be going by and you say to them, we need to rebuild the walls. And that person turns around to you and says, I agree, let's do that. Now what? (laughs) Okay, what are we going to do about the wood? How are we going to influence everyone else? You know, all that sort of stuff begins to, and that can quickly totally hamstring any ability to influence, okay? Nehemiah knew this. And so what does he do? He asks for paperwork to then go on, to use that to then go on and influence people. 
Now, how does that relate to us? When do we ever get paperwork from, from a king? Right? I'm going to show you. Consider just for a moment a police officer. Now, a police officer is just like everyone else until they put on the uniform. And what happens then? They have tons of influence. They can literally say to you, you are to move from there to there. They can do that with the uniform. That's their paperwork. That's their authority to influence. How about a mother and father? The mothers and fathers amongst us. That title, who you are, that's your influence with your kings. That's your authority. And you can either do it through power. You can say, and by the way, this isn't wrong. You can say to your kids, well, you've been naughty, so now you're going to time out. And you're going to enforce your influence on them. But flip side, the trust aspect of that influence is you have the capacity to build them up, to encourage them, to promote them, to compel them to seek God and to know God and all manner of other things through that trust-based authority. Today, are you a precious child of God? The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's your authority to bring kingdom culture to every situation, to influence others for good through your example. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8, being granted is this, and because the gracious hand of God, my God was on me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah knew where his strength came from. He didn't get tempted with the thought of, man, that, that whole meeting with the king went really well. I, I did this. You know, I said the right things. I had a plan and I executed it. No, he knew that the influence that he carried was from God. And some of us need to say this today. Regardless of whether things are going well for you or things are going bad, whatever your situation You need to give God the credit for bringing you this far, for helping you. He's a father who loves you. Does a son who asks for a a loaf of bread get a snake? No, he's guided you through. And because the gracious hand of God is on you, man, all glory to God, right? All glory to God. If the musicians could please come forward. Um, as I promised before, I was going to share a, a personal testimony that uh, something that's happened through just spending time with God and looking at this uh, topic of influence, being an influencer. This will only take a couple of minutes, but it really starts, the story starts about seven years ago. Um, Before I started working where I am, I was working as a forecaster for uh, Spark. And if you're wondering what a forecaster is, come up and ask me afterwards. It's a very specialised role. Um, And two weeks, in fact, uh, two weeks or a couple of days, I'm not too sure, before my son was due to be born, 
I found out that I was going to be made redundant. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a job by the day my son was born, which is a precarious position to be in for anyone, let alone when you have a, ma- a mortgage and you have all these hopes and dreams of, you know, a future with your family and then within two days of your son being born, you're not going to have a job, you're going to be unemployed. It was a very scary time for us. And so working as a forecaster, I knew that I couldn't just walk from one job directly into another job. It was too specialised. So I was staring down the barrel of uh, starting a brand new career. And when you're in your 30s, there's two ways to start a new career. You either go back and you study or you try and get employment. That's if you can. You try and get employment within that new career. And um, which study just didn't seem like a very good option for us, again, because of the mortgage. So I started looking for work. And lo and behold, because the precious hand of God was on me, I was able to get that employment. And I've been working there ever since. But I tell you what, when you take that step of changing careers like that, you also can expect a hit in terms of your income. And for us, it was about 15% reduction in, in pay, which was massive for us. It was, it, was, it was a real hit, but at least now I was doing something that I enjoyed and, and it, was a, it felt like a, a way to get into the industry and then move up from there. So we did this, but about a year into it, it felt like we were just bleeding chips, you know, like it, it, was, it was hard, it was really hard you know, with mortgage repayments, young family. So what I did was, I did what many of us have done before, I applied for other jobs. And I got a job with Tate Communications. And this job, by the way, wasn't just a small step up, it was massive. I wasn't just going to be earning what I was earning before, I was going to be earning 20% more than what I was earning before. But I remember the day that they came back and said, you've got the job. It's official, you have the job. I immediately went from that phone call and I went into the boss's office. And I said to him, this is currently in play. What would you like to do? And he said to me, I I don't want to lose your services. Can I match it? Will you let me match it? And I said, yeah, that would be great. But I did this. I did this. I said to him, I will never do that behind your back ever again. I won't do that. If I go to leave in future, I'll come and see you first, right? And I wanted to be a Christian and a man of my word, a person of integrity. So fast forward seven odd years and I, you know, being away on holiday, just an opportunity to reflect. I, I came to God with it. Yep, okay, going to change, got, change jobs. But then I knew that I had to go and talk to my boss. And I remember calling up a few of my friends in Australia, no one from this church, and I told them the situation, that I'd given my word that I wouldn't go behind his back. And every single one of them said, don't go to your boss first. Don't go to your boss first. Just apply And then if you don't get the jobs, who cares? The boss never knows about it, right? But no, I wanted to be true to the word that I said. And it was precarious because what's going to happen? Is my boss going to turn around and get angry? 
Is he going to go, well, hang on, I need you out as quickly as possible because I need someone to fill this role. And then the clock's ticking. And then what happens if I don't get a job that I'm after and, you know, the questions were endless. So I identified a need. I knew that I had to meet with my version of the king. I knew that I had to meet with my boss to have a conversation with him. And so I went straight on to step two and I prayed. I prayed to God about it. I spent time, considerable time in prayer, petitioning him. And I tell you what, I just had a real peace that came with this, a real peace. And then came the final meeting, the opportunity to influence. And I tell you what, I was blown away with that meeting, meeting with my boss. He was so impressed that I'd come to him and he knew it was because of my Christian ethic. He's not a believer, but he knew it was and he thanked me for it and he said, well, I don't want you to leave. I can't match it. I, I, can't, I can't give you another raise. I'm maxed out. But he said, you have my blessing and, um, and also he's now as a reference on my resume. <laughs> How cool is that? So because the precious hand of God was on me, great, great things came. How about you? How about you? In your workplace, in your fam- you know, homes, have you got someone that you need to influence or maybe it's a person, a member of the family that, that has walked away from God and you're trying to be the light in the darkness. Have you brought it before the Lord? Have you spent time in prayer? And I know, I know there's people can I, and they're still yet to have that wonderful day. Can I encourage you in the words of the Bible to keep on praying? to keep on petitioning the Lord, to be faithful, to trust him to do that, no matter what. Follow Nehemiah's blueprint. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Yes, Lord. How it can speak to us even now, 2,000 odd years ahead. Thank you for the example of these heroes that we read about, Lord. That we may live fuller lives through your word, Lord, because it is good. Guide us, Lord. Speak to us. Be patient with us, Lord. Help us to understand. We give you all the glory, Lord because you are worthy. Even when we don't see you working, Lord, you're working. And we're here in faith today because of that, Lord. Our trust is in you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.